Well, Happy New Year, Dan Maher. Happy New Year, Mike. Long, long time no see. <laughs> it has been a little bit. Uh, Dan Mahar over there on Twitter, at Dan Mahar. My name, Mike Farwell on Twitter, or X. I, I should maybe get used to calling it something else, at Farwell underscore OHL. So Dan and I were texting back and forth during the holidays, figuring, you know what? We'll take that week between Christmas and New Year's, or New Year's and and it still feels like a holiday, right? Because schools aren't back in yet, at least not here in Ontario, blah, blah, blah. So we'll just give you a little reminder that we're still here. And and the way the hockey schedule is working over the holidays, I'm actually working quite a bit this week and then on the road. So we are recording this on Wednesday, January the 3rd. I'm putting that out there. You won't be able to listen to it and or see it before Friday the 5th because that's one of our typical days. For a release, that's why I said just a little reminder for you. But I'm telling you, I'm putting the timestamp on it because, as Dan said, just before we hit record, you know, the minute we're done recording, somebody's going to get traded. So we thought we'd just come at this as a, hey, hope you had a good holiday. Here's some things that are on our mind. All of a sudden, we've got quite a bit on our minds. There's a lot going on in the league, but we're not going to dive deeply into the standings because they're going to change by the time you hear this. And it's quite likely there, there will be another trade before you hear or see this. But nonetheless, we're still here. We hope you had a great holiday. And let's start, Dan, with the trade that just happened this week. Owen sounded. I have, I have put to you, by the way, that I think we're headed into the best trade deadline ever. You said, well, maybe not ever, but in recent memory, and maybe in recent memory since the last time the OHL hosted the Memorial Cup, right? Because that's what makes things so intriguing. Anyway, we'll talk more about the deadline generally, but the Owen Sound attack jump into the pool by going to the OHL champions from a year ago and getting Ducks prospect on defense, Connor Smith and Sam McHugh, the forward, in exchange for Dale DeGray and the Owen Sound attacks first rounder, 12th overall this year, is Nico Addy and then 17-year-old Czech uh, import selection, 25th overall, Martin Matejcik. What do you think of the deal by both sides, really? Well, there's a lot of a lot of things at play here, Mike, that struck me right off the bat. And, and when you talked about it potentially being one of the best trade deadlines we've seen, I, I, I was a little on the fence there. I could go either way for me. I thought if there's too many buyers or too many fence sitters, we might not get a whole lot. Well, this was a splash for Owen Sound. No one knew exactly where they were headed this trade deadline. I have had a bit of an uneven season. They've Firmly established themselves as buyers now. So it seems like a lot of buyers in the pool probably and not as many sellers. Um, the other aspect that that I think this trade may actually slow things down for a day or two because teams are really hesitant to give up that first round pick from the previous draft. And that is the only pick from the previous draft you can trade in this window, January 1st to 10th. So the options are limited for, for when you can move those players. Most teams don't like to relinquish those kids unless it's for a massive return. And I think there's some debate here. Is it? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm with you. I really like Connor Smith. I, I love the ads for Owen Sound. I think it really bolsters a back end that already had, you know, Sadly, Seed, Jordan. They've got a lot of uh, potency back there. They're starting to round into form. You know, I called Owen Sound to finish, I think, second in the conference. So this, this should help. Uh, but Seeing Nico Addy move is a bit of an alarming thing for the other GMs. Say, well, you know, if he moves for for Connor Smith and Sam McHugh, 
we might have to pony up ours to get the, you know, the Owen Becks and some of these other big names that are on the table. So I think it's going to make things more interesting. And it probably gave some GMs some pause for 24, 48 hours here. You know, it's kind of the Mike McKenzie maneuver, right? Mike McKenzie has loved the GM of the Kitchener Rangers doing his deals in the offseason because then you're almost, if not setting the prices, you're getting in when the prices are at their best, right? So as you said, other GMs may be taking a moment here now to consider, okay, if this is the deal for Connor Smith and Sam McHugh, what's the deal for the player that perhaps I covet? And yes, Owen Beck would be a great example because he also is on the Peterborough Peets, who I think we all knew would be doing what they're now doing and selling off the assets. So a couple of things here from, from both sides. I'll start with the Peterborough side because I'm going back a lot of years here, Dan, and I won't name names, but um, a, a journalist that I respected a great deal who's no longer covering the Ontario League but moved on to other things, but had one time many years ago questioned publicly how Mike Oak, the GM in Peterborough, keeps his job. And look, he's been there a long time and there had been some swings and misses, let's say, over the years. But boy, oh boy, I I, I really like this deal for Mike Oak and the Peterborough Peets. You get that first rounder, you're getting you know, a player like Matejcik, who's only 17 years old and, and you are in my opinion, getting everything you need as you try to accelerate or keep a rebuild in progress. Remember how the Peets started this season with the young players that got the championship experience a year ago. And then, oh yeah, there's that championship team that Mike Oak built last year. So whatever the case may have been all those years ago, it's always just stuck with me that this reporter would say that about Mike. I, I mean, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention, but certainly the most recent returns are, well, I guess this is why. Unless the sun just shines on a dog's ass every once in a while, I don't know. But to me, it's been a, a very good 18 months and counting for Mike Oak and the Peter Ropeets. I really like this deal for them. I understand the questions from the Owen Sound side, particularly because, remember, I work in Kitchener, where last year, it was an eighth place Rangers team that still went out and added at the trade deadline. And now you've got a seventh place Owen Sound team that's doing the same thing. But I'm going to say this, Connor Smith is tailor made for not only the Owen Sound attack and the way they like to play, but for the Bayshore. Like he is the perfect defenseman. Did, didn't we talk earlier this year? Because both you and I thought, I may not have had Owen Sound as high as you did, but they were my dark horse in the Midwest. And we started looking and thinking, boy, the, the defense that they're known for just isn't there. Well, guess what? It just arrived. I I really like the addition. So to me, that's a good old hockey trade. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love Connor Smith. And I think there is probably 15 teams that would love to add him at this deadline for that reason. Uh, and for me, there's a few underlying takeaways, I guess, from this trade, if you will. The first being that when you look at... Owen Sound going out and making this move, the takeaway for me would be they're pretty confident in Colby Barlow's health at this point, saying, okay, here's a guy, lines up with guys like Denny Gur and uh, Cedric Indon, these players who will be graduating. They can probably realize a return on trading Colby Barlow next year, recoup some of the assets. So to me, it says, okay, we're, we're confident here. We've got our core moving forward. The other takeaway, Mike, I think we saw, we were talking about Mike Oak and Peterborough on that side of things. And, Recently, they they moved Connor Lockhart for a couple picks and maybe a little light on the return in some people's opinions than you see in this trade, moving Connor Smith and Sam McHugh and only picking up a third round pick on top of, of course, Nico Addy and Matejcik. But 
you look at the picks, the picks alone aren't very heavy. And I think we're starting to see the impacts of how far the rules on how far out you can trade picks now. They're softening the pick return uh, where we used to see, you know, three seconds, two thirds and a fifth, these kind of ridiculous deals. That's tempering that back. And I think that's what the league wanted. So before we get too critical of Mike Oak and saying, well, they're not, not as many picks coming back as I had thought. I, I think we're through the course this week, we might see a little lighter on picks than we have previously seen. Excellent observation. And I agree wholeheartedly, by the way, on the Colby Barlow piece, which popped into my mind too. If Dale DeGray is adding to his Owen Sound roster, clearly he's got a healthy Colby Barlow at his team's disposal. So let's then take this into the trade deadline generally. And you really gave me pause, Dan, much like the GMs who now have pause because Dale DeGray traded his first rounder from this year. But I've been looking at this league this year and thinking we are all set. Like there easily are 10 plus teams, right? That that legitimately could add because they think they're, they have a shot at something. So yes, it makes it pretty intriguing to me. I'm not saying when I look at best deadline ever that we're going to have monster packages going back and forth. I'm just saying so much activity that maybe even the teams that end up on the outside looking in don't even get into the trade pool we're analyzing after the fact saying, boy, I'll bet you they wish they had, or let's see what happens to team X, Y, or Z because teams A, B, and C did this, right? So that's where I find it so intriguing. But when you were like, well, you know, you were a little bit more moderate in your assessment. And then I thought more about it and I thought, well, I guess it must be the way I'm looking at it is because this is an OHL host season, which newsflash, I should have thought of prior, but that's where... Owen Sound staking its claim right now. It's a bold move. Yes, you've got you you mentioned the players, the core that's there, the reasons, but hello, the Saginaw Spirit have every intention of winning the conference. So on the west side, it's that much more difficult, right? On the east, you think the idea, of course, is well, Saginaw hosts, they win the West. All we have to do is get to the dance if we're in the East. So that's where I was thinking the real arms race is going to happen. But clearly, Dale DeGray is not afraid of Dave Drinkle. So the two double Ds on this side can go at it right now, I guess. Yeah. And you know, Mike, I'd love to be inside the heads of these GMs and listening to all of the second guessing going on inside their own heads. Because I mean, you look at all those dynamics, right? You just talked about the Saginaw spirit and, and two teams coming out of the O this year. So yeah, you expect, well, teams in the East have a bit of a, a second chance at life, right? If, if Saginaw wins the West, then they could win, just need to win the East to get in. I know in sound attack, when you're going all in, you're saying we're confident we're beating the Saginaw spirit in the course of that playoff right before we have to win the league. So you're, you're making a bold statement. And then you look at some of these other GMs who don't necessarily have the, the biggest cupboard in terms of assets to trade. Do they maybe, I'm generally not an advocate of standing pat in the OHL because I usually think you're either in an upswing cycle where you have to buy or you're in a downswing swing cycle where you have to sell because it's so cyclical that standing pat doesn't make a ton of sense to me. But this is one year where I think it might be a little different where I look at all these teams that are kind of on the cusp. They're kind of there. They're confident they can compete. No team looks like they're going to have the arms to, or the assets to totally load up. So maybe we can kind of run with what we got and see where it gets us and not blow the bank. So, so Aside from Saginaw, who I thought Connor Smith would have been a great ad for, but aside from them, I think that you might see two or three of these teams kind of surprise and 
maybe do a minor tinker here and there, but not go all out here and still think that they can run with what they've got and compete. So we know Saginaw has already demonstrated it's willing to go all out. And Dave Trinkle has told us, I'm not done. I'm going to do everything I can to give our team the best chance. Owen Sound has already jumped into the pool and, and put a pretty big toe into it, I would say, maybe even the entire foot. I will submit to you, Dan, that London, Sault Ste. Marie, and Kitchener, because I don't know how you're a first-place club and you don't do something to at least try to improve your chances. Those three teams for sure, and and maybe Guelph on the Western side. I say maybe with Guelph because I think I still think Patra comes back to this league and Cam Allen comes back from injury, and then guess what? George Burnett's done something without doing anything. But London, Sioux, Kitchener along with Owen Sound, and then Saginaw. Will we agree that those five teams in the West are, at minimum, looking to add? I, I think they have to, Mike. And, and, and you know, sometimes you might look at a team like, uh, well, looking at Kitchener, a team you cover, and we, we talk about how on the bubble they were. They weren't expected to contend this year. Their, their window is a little further out. Uh, they're building around the 07. So a lot of people are really hesitant for them to give up a lot of assets for this year. But when you're running in first place, you have and you see some of the assets they'll be able to move next year. You have to think they're adding something. Guelph Storm's really interesting to me. Uh, like you said, I agree. I've always felt that Potter's coming back and and Allen's going to come back. Those are two massive ads without giving up assets. So with that kind of on the horizon, uh, I'm sure George Burnett would love some clarification from the Boston Bruins if that's going to happen. But on the assumption that it very well could. I expect they'll maybe make us a, a minor ad here or there um, to give themselves a shot, but you're right. Those teams are all in. And we keep hearing the rumbling that Sue is looking to make a big splash. So I expect all of those teams you just named to add at least one body each. Um, the question will be how all in are those GMs willing to go? I I'm glad you mentioned the Sioux because I wanted to as well. Don't forget that Sault Ste. Marie was in the running as a Memorial Cup host last season, did not get it, maybe feels a little bit like the jilted lover here, and I would submit to you would love nothing more than to spoil Saginaw's party by winning the West. So, yeah, I think that the Sioux Greyhounds are very much in this, not just for what they've been doing on the ice so far this season, but maybe for a little bit of payback, you know? Oh, 100%. And we know that the Sioux has a well-established identity, right? They can always skate. They're physical, miserable to play against in their barn. Uh, they're a team that knows how to play within the confines of the team and confines of the system. So I, I'm i sure they're identifying those players around the league that would fit that mold. Uh, and you see a player like Owen Beck what a, would fit like a glove there. And there's certain players that are, that are available. And I think the Sioux... They're gonna. They're right on the cusp of first place in this league. They're gonna pull something because they they feel they've they feel strongly they've got a shot. We've seen some of their head to head matches with Saginaw. We know they're right there now. So if they add a piece, they're probably gonna be right there with Saginaw come playoff time. So I wanted to talk. I had to made a note to talk about the East later, but we might as well throw it right in here just generally because again, as we record this on Wednesday, January the third. There are seven points separating eight teams from first to eighth in the Eastern Conference. It's absolutely crazy. Coming out of Christmas with a victory and the Brantford Bulldogs of all teams spent a day in first place 
in the East. And they're still right there. Who isn't there in that mix? First to eighth, just seven points. Now, you and I have established before, Dan, on this podcast already that Rob Papineau and the Sudbury Wolves have got to be saying, like, give us whatever we need to shoot at. We're going to spray everything at the target because this is their turn in the cycle and arguably their turn in their half century existence because they haven't had the championship. Again, presuming that all you have to do is get to the dance and you can waltz in because Saginaw wins the other side. But how do you discount six other teams in the East thinking they've got a legitimate shot at the same thing? Yeah, you're right. That, that standing separation you just flagged is that has to have a few GMs looking at their database of draft picks and saying, well, this is a real window of opportunity for us. And, and you look at, you reference Brantford emerging in first place. Who would have called that a month ago? Uh, you look at all these, I think there's a real dark horse there in Kingston has started to play really well. They've added Roman Schmidt on the back end. They're starting to get healthy. They're, they're a pain to play against. I, I think Barry, a team you and I both liked before this year has maybe started to separate a bit as a seller. I think things haven't broken their way this year and losing Bo Aiki for the season is kind of, tipped where they might go um one of the few sellers but Sudbury's fired a bunch of their bullets already they're they're probably still looking to make a small addition if they can what does North Bay do what are the offers like for Ty Nelson and Don DiVincentis like you've got all these things at play and I think this time next week we're going to have a lot more clarity but there's I guarantee there's some opportunity here for these teams and we didn't even talk about the Ottawa 67s who are running right at the top as well with a fairly young roster, similar to Kitchener in the sense that they're, they're set up well for next year as well, but might look at where they are in the standings and say, you know, we probably could add something here. So uh, there's a lot of GMs with a lot more confusion this year than I think we've ever seen. All right. Uh, Again, this was going to be our little, Hey, how you doing? Hope the holidays have been great. We're still here and we'll be back with regular episodes starting next week episode of the OHL podcast. So I won't dive too deeply in because next week will be our final episode before the trade deadline. And we'll have, I think, more to talk about and more speculation at that time. Things will be heating up. Just quickly on the North Bay point, uh, a friend of mine in this league whose opinion I respect quite a bit suggested the other day that North Bay has no choice but to go in and buy. I I confess to disagreeing with that, but it just goes to show to the point you just made, Dan. Lots of teams have lots of reason, especially in the East, to believe that they are in this. And you mentioned Kingston. It's definitely noteworthy uh, how well Corey Cooper did on that Roman Schmidt trade. The early returns, for sure. Schmidt had four points in 14 games as a Ranger, and he's had a point in every single game, six of them, with the Kingston Frontenacs, six games, eight points in those six games. So that trade is paying immediate dividends for the Kingston Frontenacs and make things pretty interesting there in the limestone city. Okay. Let's, let's move on and talk about one of the other big things in the league this week. And I'm a little bit curious about it, to be honest. So Sam McHugh, the younger brother of Max traded from Peterborough over to Owen sound. Perfect. He can be in the same division as his older brother, who is currently serving a suspension three games for abusive official. And then Alec Leonard in the same back-to-back with the Sarnia Sting, Alec Leonard of the London Knights gets two games for slew footing. Let, let's start with the the Max McHugh. Your thoughts on the suspension? Yeah, there was a little confusion around that one because I think when it first came down, there was some 
articles in the rule book that suggest any abuse of, fish, uh, of an official start at 10 games, but subject to commissioner review, et cetera, et cetera. And from what I understand, I didn't actually see the game live, but from what I understand, McHugh still heated over the on-ice incident, flung a water bottle in the penalty box, hit the scorekeeper, one, an official in the timekeeper bench. Uh, so the commissioner's review said, yeah, foolish thing to do. Wasn't an intentional shot at the official. We're going to reduce this thing to three. But again, it's, I think with Max McHugh, it's just keeping that temper in check at all times because he's been a really good player for those London Knights of late. He, he's been a finisher for them. He brings a dynamic to that team that could go far in the playoffs, but you got to keep those players on the ice. And we've seen a lot of supplemental discipline around the London Knights this year. Uh, I know maybe it's a brand they're seeking. Maybe it's a way they're trying to play uh, something they feel they bring to the dance floor. But I, I would suggest that Max McHugh may, may have gotten off lightly here, a little bit lucky. So they need to take that and run with it because three games he'll be back soon. Um, ironically be back to play that same team when he returns on January 10th. Um, but uh, yeah, London will, will do well to keep their players on the ice going forward. The Alec Leonard two games for a slew foot is basically automatic for the infraction. I'm glad though, that you described the McHugh thing and mentioned to the commissioner's review the way you did, Dan, because if I haven't said this before, I'm overdue and remiss in not having said it so far. And that is, it's not just me, right? The league offices have been doing a terrific job, in my opinion, this year of not only being willing to review things, but then doing so with a sense of urgency. And that suspension for McHugh specifically went from indefinite to three games in an awful hurry, which gives clarity and certainty to both the teams and the fans. I think the league, and, and I actually think it's Barkley or Branch the Younger that's responsible for this. He's doing a hell of a job and he deserves some credit for that. A hundred percent, Mike. And I'm glad you raised it because I, th I think it's worth saying we tend to sometimes be negative with the league. And over the years, I personally have been very critical about how they've handled discipline and off-ice communication and Sometimes inexplicably, I mean, we all remember the Arbor Jack Eye suspension with no communication from the league. What it was even for, how long it was. Um, those types of things happened over the years. I, I think this year we're seeing a much different story. We're seeing quicker decisions. We're seeing clarity around why the decision was made. And lacking some of that stubborn secrecy uh, in this McHugh suspension, I think clearly the commissioner of you said, yeah, we did take a second look didn't intend to do what he did. It was stupid. Three games is sufficient. So you're getting some understanding of how they're thinking. And we never had that before. So I'm really glad you raised it because Barkley Branch, if it's you or whoever in your office is doing this, uh, this year has been far better. And this is really all anyone asked for. So, so kudos to the league. Uh, one final note on the London Sarnia games, because they played the back-to-backs, London winning them both. But I'm on record just recently in our conversations, Dan, as being a fan of the rivalries. Let's see them be heated. I don't want anybody doing anything dumb or anybody getting hurt, but we've definitely seen that the London Sarnia rivalry is alive and well. Cooper Way and Ryder Bolton had a real nice hockey fight, and I'm okay with some hockey fights. Both boys walked away just fine, in my opinion. But before that, I don't know if you've seen the video. Uh, it, it, Carson Chartier, the goalie for, for Sarnia, and I thought it was Alec Leonard coming down the ice, but I couldn't pick up the number. Regardless, can you explain how Carson Chartier leaves his net essentially like, 
if you don't want to call it cross-checking, fine. At minimum, it's interfere. Like, how did the goaltender not end up with an infraction on that play? Well, Mike, these are the things that we hear time and time again in the hockey world, right? About refs losing control of a game. And often it's those little, those obvious or blatant things. If they're not called, then players start taking matters into their own hands. And I know we're not excusing some of the actions that occurred after the fact, but you're right. That was a pretty blatant interference in my opinion. And, you know, we don't expect the refs to be perfect any more than we expect the players to be perfect. But when you see those blatant things, like I have to feel watching that video, like a simple interference call right off the bat would have calmed the situation instantly. Instead, we saw where it went after that. So I think that was a case of even the officials themselves, if you ask them now and say, yeah, we, you know, we probably missed that one next time we got to have it because that tend to precipitate worse events when those things get missed. All right. So much for the short uh, kind of mid-holiday episode here. At least we did all the eating. We're just working it off by talking because we've still got more to come on this episode of the OHL podcast, including why the league needs to take a page out of the PWHL playbook and a rule that needs some tweaking in the Ontario Hockey League. We'll get to that still to come on this episode of the OHL podcast. Start on this rule, Dan, that look, we know that in the Ontario Hockey League, if you ice the puck, you don't get the chance to make the line change, which I think, I don't know if we've talked about a lot. I'm going to assume we both like this, right? I think it's a it's a really good addition to the rules of the game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So what we need to change now is because it's new this year and we've talked about it and I'm supportive of it because I'm on that side of the game where if you're able to generate revenue from things, this is good for my line of work. So if the teams can generate some extra revenue in their arenas with these in arena timeouts that have been built into the games, there's now two per period instead of just that old mid period timeout we've had, right? So anybody that's been following the league or has gone to a game has noticed this on or about 14 minutes remaining in the period and on or about six minutes remaining in the period, they do something in-house. It's an opportunity for the teams themselves to make a little bit of extra money, have some fun with the fans, whatever. They used to just do one around the midpoint of the period. The thing is, and I I had seen this happen at least once, it might've been twice through the first half of the season. And then bizarrely, it happened three times in one game Last weekend, it was the game between the Rangers and the Owen Sound attack. And on three occasions, so again, there are these two in-arena timeouts per period, so six. On half of those opportunities, if you want to call it that, the Owen Sound attack iced the puck and got the benefit of the 60-second in-arena timeout. Yeah, you can't make a change, but you got a 60-second rest while waiting for that key face-off now in your own zone, which completely negates the inability to make a line change off an icing. I am in no way suggesting that the Owen Sound attack did this deliberately. If they have, if they did do it deliberately, those are really smart heads-up players because they're checking the clock as they make an icing. I don't think that's the case, but I do think this is something the league's going to need to take a look at because it, it might be a little thing, but it's an unfair advantage. Oh, totally. And, and 
look at the NHL. The NHL doesn't allow that. The NHL will not go to a commercial timeout after an icing for that reason. Similarly, why they won't go to a, a commercial timeout during a power play because it's perceived as a bit of an unfair advantage or disadvantage to one of the teams on the ice. So to me, it's absolutely true. I mean, if the NHL can do it with all the money on the line for their commercial blocks and when they fall and falling behind, if they can do their production where, you know what, it was an icing, we're going to have to wait till the next whistle, then surely the OHL can do it with their two timeouts in arena. Maybe that timeout doesn't happen till there's till two minutes later. But I think the spirit of the rule is that you're not allowed to ice the puck and get a rest. So that should be true across the 60 minutes of the game. And I think it's a simple tweak that needs to be made. Otherwise, it makes a bit of a mockery of the rule anyway, uh, when there's twice per period when you can get away with it. So it either is a rule or it isn't. You care about that advantage or you don't. But I would suggest that that's a simple tweak they should follow the NHL in. And I suspect that they will. It's probably something that was just overlooked when they implemented this extra in arena timeout. So it was just so strange. And if, if that game between Kitchener and Owen Sound doesn't cement the tweak to the rule, I don't know what will. Because three times in one game is just as bizarre as it gets. And again, a bit of an unfair advantage for the team that did the icing. Okay, I had the opportunity while I was in Oshawa on New Year's Day, Rangers Gens. And that just so happened to be the day of the inaugural game in the Professional Women's Hockey League, the PWHL. So it was awesome. Oshawa's got a great media room, big TV. We're all, you know, doing our work, but watching the broadcast of the, the first game, watching Billie Jean King, all of this stuff. Here, here's the thing. And I'm going to geek out on on my side of the game again, the broadcasting side. And we've talked about this before, Dan, that I think because I geek out, but also I, I think we can add to the fan experience. I think the Ontario Hockey League, maybe the Canadian Hockey League, but I don't get to watch a lot of games in the dub and the queue. But certainly in the Ontario Hockey League, if you watch using the CHL app or OHL TV, bluntly, and again, I've talked about this before, so I'll be consistent the production value leaves a little to be desired. Maybe a lot. If I'm going to be a nitpicker, it might be a lot left to be desired. Watching that PWHL coverage, I mean, yeah, Schwa had a great TV in the media room, but that notwithstanding, the way it was lit, the just everything about the production screamed professional. And, and we know the PWHL doesn't have the deepest of pockets. They're just getting started. Are the revenues comparable to the O or the CHL? Maybe they're a little bit greater in the PWHL right now, but that notwithstanding, it was instant credibility from where I was sitting. And I think this could be a really good message. So let's send it right to the league offices in the Ontario Hockey League again. If you want to be taken more seriously as a professional league, give more consideration to the broadcast, to what it looks like the lighting was good the, the the camera setups were excellent all the little things that you're clearly not thinking about in the oh sorry they were there in spades the pwhl looked fantastic yeah and you know it means viewers are going to stick longer on it mike because i'll admit the vast majority of my tv watching these days is hockey games and and those little production things will actually be the difference whether i stick on the channel or not and they're Frankly, are some OHL games I'm watching like this. The production is, isn't great here. I'm going to flip and see what else is on. Whereas those PWHL games, well, I watched a lot of that Ottawa-Montreal game last night. Like you said, a professional, terrific production. 
easy to follow, easy to stay on that channel. You're getting the great analysis. You're getting everything. So, so yeah, it was a very watchable experience. And, uh, and, and just as a quick aside in the PWHL, you, when we were talking about rule tweaks too, what about the uh, rule where if you score a shorthanded goal, your penalty ends that that's an interesting one that, that I'm not sure how I feel about yet, but it's definitely interesting. Yeah. I like that one too. And it, I was thinking about that earlier when we were talking about icings and our buddy, Jeff Merrick likes to say, I think it's, I don't think it's free. I'm pretty sure it's Merrick that says he would like to see the game changed so that icing on a penalty kill is still icing, you know, to add. So Maybe the PWHL moves us in that direction, but interesting things for sure. And I love your point around, again, the enjoyment of the presentation and that keeps you with the game longer. And if you're watching on your couch, but you're enjoying it and you're staying with it longer, what are the chances that you buy a ticket to go see a game in person? I would submit to you the chances improve and probably improve dramatically. So I, I really hope I look, I know it's not easy uh, I know that there would be a cost involved, but I think it is something that you definitely derive a return on investment from. And I really think this league, the one we're talking about, the Ontario Hockey League, could do a much better job. Oh, for sure. And it's almost a branding thing too, right, Mike? Where you, how you build your league and the, the professionalism around how you present it on TV goes a long way to the psychology of the viewer and saying, well, this is actually a well-run professional league. And if it looks amateurish and, and poor, you're going to say, well, that's kind of an amateurish league. And that for a lot of fans is how they decide how to spend their dollars. Right. And if I say, well, that looks really good. And, and, and an analogy I would use is, is the CFL broadcast, how professional those are, you know, that's a, a league I might spend some dollars to go watch where if you see some of the, uh, Canadian university football coverage, not so much. And you, and you say, ah, that's, that's kind of lower level. I'm not going to spend my time. So point being that there are rewards to be gained by investing in that end of your business. And I would think the OHO would do well to, to investigate. Since this was going to be our short holiday break episode, he says facetiously, once again, we had no intention of doing a prospect of the week, but I do want to uh, give mention to Ben Danford in Oshawa, having got to watch him in person on New Year's Day. Holy Hannah, it's a hell of a player there that Oshawa has. And I think uh, an NHL team will be very happy with him come June. Also on the prospect front, Sam Dickinson. And I know that this is going to get into the area where somebody's going to email me, ohlpodcast at rogers.com and say, come on, Farwell, why are you picking on a guy, you know, and, and, and minimizing his performance? I don't mean to do that. And Sam Dickinson's eight points in three games this past week was absolutely lovely. Three goals, five assists, and the Ontario Hockey League names Dickinson the draft-eligible London Knights defenseman their player of the week. Denny Gore did that in one game. He did the same, all those points in exactly the same manner, three goals and five assists in one game. And, and Denny, Gore, why? Because Denny Gore is an overager and he played against the Niagara Ice Dogs, so it doesn't count. Stop it. I, I don't know how, Dan. I don't know how Denny Gore was not the player of the week in the OHL this week. Yeah, and, and I, so the only argument I could possibly make is, is sometimes in single game stat padding, garbage time, things get out of control. The stats maybe are a little bit, misleading and you say yeah eight points but yeah the other team wasn't trying after four so maybe you give a little bit of a discount there um but yeah when you score eight points in a game you pretty much lock up player of the week don't you i thought so and i i, I boldly uh proclaimed as much on social media first player to do it since 2007 so 16 plus years between accomplishments of an eight point 
game, not an eight-point week, and still somehow Danny Gore, who's been overlooked by NHL team so far, gets overlooked again by the league where he's playing because that's not good enough for Player of the Week this week. I don't know. Ah, Some things you'll never figure out. (laughs) Well, maybe they just forgot to watch that game, Mike. Maybe that was just not on their radar, but... Oh, he got eaten one game? <laughs> it did yeah. happen just um, after Christmas. So maybe they were still sleeping after eating all the turkey and the tryptophan got to them or something, right? So, Well, maybe, but Danny, you're just going to have to score nine or ten, buddy, Like if you want that player of the week. I'm sorry, you're going to have to do more. <laughs> yeah, eight points in a game? That's not good enough, Danny Gore. Sorry for your luck. Uh, all right. Has this been long enough for a short episode for the holiday season? I guess they can tell us, Mike, but I th- it felt it felt solid, so. Remember that you can always reach us uh, on Twitter at Dan Mahar or me at Farwell underscore OHL. Shoot us an email anytime. We love getting them. OHL podcast at Rogers.com. One last note I did want to make is on the passing of Ken Miller, the director of security with the league, who at the age of 75 passed away on a New Year's Day. Uh, decades and decades with the league. I only got to know Ken later in, in his life uh, and and well enough into my career, but I would bump into him in rinks. One time, I'll, I'll not forget the time I ran into him during the playoffs up in the Sioux, and it was a game day, but there was time. I had the luxury of time, which I don't often have with the OHL broadcast schedule. So we sat and had a coffee together uh, over at the station mall, and it was it was just great. Like the, the man loved his hockey. He loved the role that he played, and we just want to extend condolences to uh, the Miller family on, on Ken's passing on New Year's Day. So... Thought we should definitely make mention of that as well. All right. So what say, Dan, we uh, we get back to this for real on, on Monday or, or pardon me, on, on Tuesday. We will record in much more topical and traditional fashion the uh, within hours of release of the episode. And hopefully not too much has happened between our recording this Wednesday and our release on Friday morning. <laughs> Sounds good. And to those listeners watching this podcast for the 15 trades that happened between when we recorded this and when you listened to it, we're, we're sorry. (laughs) That man over there is Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell. We're back onto our usual schedule next Tuesday. Hope you had a great holiday season. Once again, happy new year. And thanks very much for listening to the OHL podcast. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.